Well, good morning. It is uh, hard to believe that Thanksgiving is over and Christmas is right around the corner. And um, boy, I, that last song, I just about lost my voice singing that one. Um, we serve a God uh, who will always be on the throne. Um, we don't have to worry who's going to be the newly elected God, right? He, he's, he's God. He will always be God. And, and we get to celebrate um, Advent this whole month, uh, preparing our hearts uh, for the coming of the King, which, um, from our perspective, has already come in part. He is coming back, and uh, he will reign forevermore. A little over a month before he died, the atheist philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre declared that he so strongly resisted the tendency to despair that he would say to himself, I know I shall die in hope. But sadly, he would add to that statement. He said this, but hope needs a foundation. And I think he died the way that he lived, hopelessly, longing to some degree that there would be hope, but understanding to have hope, there needs to be a sure foundation for it to be meaningful. Otherwise, it's just wishful thinking. Well, I don't think anybody understood this more than the nation of Israel. And we've been talking a lot, a lot about the nation of Israel over the last several weeks in our study of the book of Malachi. And if you recall, uh, the nation of Israel had rebelled against the Lord time and time again. And God finally said, I've, I've had enough. And first, the northern kingdom was carried off into captivity. Shortly thereafter, the southern kingdom was carried off into captivity. And there they remained until God, in his mercy, called them back to their homeland. And once they returned to their homeland, well, guess what happened? They rebelled again. They fell into the same patterns, the same sin, and so God gives them several prophets, one of which was Malachi, to deliver a stern rebuke and to tell them that there's a day that's going to come that will burn like an oven and it will consume the wicked and God's justice will be served. It was not a pleasant message. But he also laces into that message through the prophet Malachi a message of hope. He lays a foundation for his people for a future hope. And it was to be the last word that God would speak for 400 years. Now, that's, that's hard for us to, to comprehend, but, but just... Think about if, if God was speaking in the same way that he spoke to the people of Israel through the prophets, through miracles, through all sorts of things, and, and we had to look back to 1600 for the last time to have heard from the Lord. Well, four centuries have now passed 
And the time has come for God to make good on his promise. The people may have forgotten, but God never forgets. So he sends an angel to a man named Zechariah. And he announces to him two amazing things. One, that he and his wife are going to have a baby in their old age. And two, that this baby would actually be the one of whom Malachi spoke 400 years earlier. So over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at um, this thing called Advent. We're going to be observing Advent. Uh, For those of you that may not be familiar, the word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, meaning coming. And we are speaking primarily of Jesus' first Advent as well as his second Advent. And Advent really is a time of preparation. It's a time of celebration And it's a time of hopeful expectation. It's designed to prepare our hearts to celebrate Christ's first coming, that first Christmas, even as we look ahead to his second. So with that being said, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this joyful season. Thank you, Lord God, that we can come together to worship you and to praise you for who you are and what you have done for us. And Lord, I pray that we would not speed through these next several days and weeks um, looking to to Christmas to be the the be-all and end-all. But Lord, help us to enjoy the journey and what it is that you want to teach us um, through this time together in your word. And Father, even as we celebrate your first advent, Lord, make us mindful that you are coming again. And Lord, many of the things that your people learned in their waiting on your first advent, Lord, you want to teach us as we await your second. So Holy Spirit, be our teacher and our guide this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to the Gospel of Luke. That's where we're going to be camping out over the next several weeks. I'm going to be looking at different aspects of the Christmas story here. But we'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. There we go. Just had a little bit of a delay. Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Kind of like that last part. That's kind of like the politically correct way of saying they were old. They were advanced in years. And keep in mind, it's been 400 years now since Malachi's prophecy. But there were at least a couple of people who believed the promises of God because here they are. And and they're described as righteous and, and blameless. 
These are two individuals who walked in obedience to God's commands. And these elderly, righteous people maintained their faith and they continued to believe the promises of God, even though it looked as if they might go to their graves without seeing the fulfillment of them. I mean, that had happened for 400 years. God spoke then, and for 400 years, there was always a remnant who believed, but not, did not see the fulfillment of those promises. But as I was thinking about Zechariah in particular, I was wondering, would this description fit us? Would we be considered by the Lord to be righteous? Not in a holier-than-thou sort of way, not in self-righteousness, but to walk blamelessly in regard to the commandments of God. I, I, I can't say that I, I can. I'd, I'd like to say that I can, but I know how far short I fall. But as I look at Zechariah and I, and I see how God describes him, I said, this is the kind of person I want to be. Those of you who are older, are you still living faithfully? Because it doesn't get any easier the older you get. You just run into many more problems and issues and trials and temptations than you had when you were younger. It's easy to believe the promises of God. It's easy to believe God when things are going well. You know, or when you were younger and you thought to yourself, I got plenty of time for God to come through and meet my needs. You know, maybe, maybe you're in your early 20s, you know, and you're thinking, oh, I, you know, yeah, I'm not married yet, but, you know, God will come through. And you wait, and then you turn 30 and you wonder, oh, how come I'm not married yet? Or when you're 40 or 50. What about when you pray to God and your prayers seem to go unanswered? What about when your husband or your wife files for divorce? Or when your kids seem to go off the rails? Or you're let go from your job or you're fired after 30 years? You see, there's lots of opportunities for us as we grow older to grow bitter, to grow angry, to question God, to wonder if he's even there. And it just amazes me that when I read this about this elderly couple, that they persisted in their faith. They lived faithfully. They were righteous and walked blamelessly before the Lord. So, is that your desire? Do you want to walk blamelessly before the Lord? See, if our faith can't sustain us in the trials, in the pains, and the sufferings of life, then it's, it's not a faith worth having. If our faith is only good when things go well, then it's not a faith worth having. We can learn a lot from this couple. Look at verse 8. It says, Now when he was serving as priest, that is Zechariah, before God, 
And when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. I think one of the first things that I noticed as I was looking at this passage was that uh, Zechariah wasn't twiddling his thumbs when the angel appeared. He was busy doing what God had called him to do to serve as priest before God. And he was chosen by Lot to enter the temple. But this was not a chance encounter. When it talks about he was chosen by Lot, it's not saying he got the luck of the draw. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, we read that the Lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. God had a plan, and now it's starting to unfold. Now, the altar of incense was located just in front of the Holy of Holies. So you had the Holy of Holies, or the most holy place, and then you had the holy place. And in between the two, you had the veil of the temple. And the altar of incense sat just, just before the Holy of Holies, and the whole reason for the altar of incenses is that it represented the prayers of God's people. That the smoke would rise to the ceiling of the temple, symbolizing the prayers of the people who gathered outside, that their prayers too were also rising to God. And so it says here that when Zechariah was offering incense in the temple, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, and he was gripped with fear. I think that's probably a major understatement. He didn't go into the temple. How many times had he gone into the temple? This had never happened before. And suddenly, an angel appears to him, and he's fearful. Verse 13, But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Now, I think at first glance, it, it, it looks as if Zechariah was praying for a child. And he might have been. No doubt he and Elizabeth had prayed for that for many, many years. But I don't think that's what he was praying for. Now, this is not a thus saith the Lord. It's just, as I look at this text, I, I don't think this is what he was praying for. You know, he and Elizabeth were both advanced in years, okay? They were old. And most people, when they get to be that age, kind of resign themselves to thinking, we won't have a biological child. It's just, it's past that point. And you don't, even want to pray for it, do you ladies? 
you know, you know, I mean, there comes a certain age when, you know, that's it. I'm good, <laughs> you know. So, you know, imagine 80 years old or wherever, you know, praying for a baby. I just don't see that happening. If you're asking God for a miracle baby, too, I think you would have been a little bit more excited, maybe have a little bit more faith. But if you look at verses 18 through 20, we're told that he did not believe the angel's words to him. Maybe Zechariah was praying for his people. Maybe he was praying for the nation of Israel, that, that God would fulfill the promise that he made through the prophet Malachi. Maybe he was praying for Elijah to come. We can only speculate what he was praying for, but this much is certain. Whatever it was, God heard it. And he answered it. Oh, that we would pray like that. That we would pray in such a way that we not only know God hears, but God can't but help and show up. Because that's what happened. God showed up. I love what the psalmist uh, said in Psalm 66. Come in here, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened, and he has attended to the voice of my prayer. God attends to the voice of prayers that fall from the lips of his saints. John tells us in 1 John chapter 5, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. God is attentive to the prayers of the righteous, and he delights in answering those prayers. And you can probably think about how many times God has answered prayers that you probably haven't even prayed, maybe hadn't even thought about. I, I, I know that God has answered many of those kinds of, of prayers for me, prayers that I didn't even dare to pray, prayers that I was fearful that I would be let down should God not answer those prayers. God oftentimes goes above and beyond all that we can ask or think. And, and here he does so for Zechariah. If Zechariah wasn't praying for a child and he's praying for the nation of Israel, then he got above and beyond what he prayed for because he says, hey, you've, you've been heard. I'm here to deliver. God has heard your prayer. You will see the fulfillment of this, but you will not only see the fulfillment of this, you're going to play an important role in this. You will become the father of the forerunner of the Lord. 
you will have the responsibility to raise him in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And his son will bring him great joy and gladness and would cause all the other people to rejoice as well. Wow. God has done above all that we could ask or think. Men, all you got to do is take a look at your wife. And you know God has gone above whatever you, you ask for. In, in most cases, that's, that's true. It's certainly true for me. When I think about how God has blessed me with my wife, the kind of woman that I have, I didn't deserve that. The kids that God has given me, my brothers and sisters in Christ, not just here, but all over the world, the men with whom I work, what God has called me to do, this is beyond anything that I could have ever thought about. I didn't even come to faith until I was 21. I had no clue the first 21 years. And then I didn't have much of a clue the next 21 years after that. I mean, no, no wonder Zechariah was, was stunned here. You know, the tells us, the scripture tells us here that, that after he gave him the, the good news, he then gave him some instructions, which is very helpful. You know, God, you're going to call us to do something? You know, tell me how I'm supposed to do it. And, and he tells him how he's to raise his son. Like Samson and Samuel, his son was to be a Nazarite from birth. Look at verse 16. I'm not sure where it went, but verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Now imagine how Zechariah must have felt hearing these words. If, if I was him, I think I would be there can, can this be true? Is this really happening? Am I dreaming? He, he never thought that, that he would have a child, and now an angel of the Lord appears to him, says, you're not only going to have a son, but that son is going to be the fulfillment of prophecy. Malachi chapter 3, let's refresh your memory. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction." And then if we go over to Isaiah chapter 40, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. These are the prophecies that were made hundreds of years earlier. And now Zechariah is being told, Zechariah, you're about to see 
this fulfilled in a most amazing way. But you know, when you read this, you, you, you just can't help but wonder if, if he was in stunned disbelief. I mean, how do you go from living your entire life praying for something, not seeing it, and then all of a sudden, towards the tail end of your life, all of a sudden, I'm going to see it? Luke chapter 1, it's not up on screen. I wish I had put it up on screen, but verses 18 through 20, if you have your Bibles, you can read along. It says, And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. I've got to tell you, I am really glad God included these verses in Scripture. I mean, even, even though when you look at it, they highlight Zechariah's unbelief, something that I'm sure you wouldn't want have written about you. But I think that these verses ought to encourage us. And I'll tell you why. First of all, it tells me that godly men and women aren't perfect. People who love Jesus are not perfect. They struggle with unbelief at times. So don't ever think that just because I'm up here, Eric's up here, Ryan or Greg, whatever, and, and we're preaching, that we don't have times where we don't struggle with our faith. I mean, that, that's the whole reason to have faith is, is to overcome. We, we walk by faith, not by sight. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And we live in a world where we see and touch and feel and taste and everything. We are driven that way. And when we encounter difficulties in life, which are many, there is that temptation. God, where are you? What are you doing? I wouldn't have done it that way. But I read this, and I think Zechariah, who was described as a man who walked blamelessly in regard to the commands of the Lord, who was righteous, yet he did not believe the word of Gabriel here. You see, being righteous and godly doesn't mean that faith has been perfected. Our faith needs to grow, and for that to happen, it needs to be tested. It needs to be stretched beyond where we can say, I believe. There has to be a stretching that goes beyond this into, into greater levels of faith, greater levels of trust. That's why I like what James says in Chapter 1, he says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The testing of your faith. 
And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, there's a, there's a reason why our faith gets tested. Zechariah was a godly man, but he was not exempt from disbelief. And neither am I. And neither are you. But we can choose to believe even when everything around us says it doesn't make any sense. We can yield to the Holy Spirit. And, 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 the, and the second thing that really encourages me from this is not only that you know, godly people like Zechariah uh, don't often, you know, don't always believe perfectly, is that God still acts See, there, there's a lot of us that feel like we have to have perfect faith in order for God to do. But God doesn't act dependent on our faith solely. Sometimes he does. But he still does what he says he will do. Where he has promised to act, he will. Maybe I should rephrase the statement and say it this way, that God's ability to act is not dependent on the size of our faith. Remember, Jesus said, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, right? It's not the size of your faith. It's the object of your faith. Many times, God acts in spite of our unbelief. In fact, Zechariah reminds me of the guy in Mark 9 whose son was demon-possessed and the disciples couldn't cast it out and, and he comes to Jesus and he says, if you can help, if you can do anything, help my son. And Jesus responds, if? If? If I can? And, and the man basically says, Lord, I believe but help me in my unbelief. My faith is not yet where I want it to be. Can you still do it? And you know how the story ends. Jesus cast out the demon. And I see Zechariah the same way. Aren't you glad that God is a God who acts in such a way that it's not dependent on us having faultless faith? He will fulfill all his promises in his time. So Zechariah believed that God would one day fulfill all the promises that he made through Malachi. What he did not expect was that God would choose him to play a role in that fulfillment. His prayer reached heaven and God answered he would not only see the fulfillment of God's promises, he would play a prominent role in the unfolding of God's plan. He would be responsible for raising a godly son whom we would come to know as John the Baptist. Zechariah served as a priest, offering incense to God. He was an intermediary of sorts between God and the people, offering prayers. And listen, if you belong to Christ, you're a priest too. Peter tells us that we are a part of a holy and royal priesthood. 
called to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Together, he says, we are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. There are some similarities between Zechariah's calling and our calling. And just as God chose Zechariah, to help fulfill the promises of that first advent. God wants to use us to help fulfill the promises of his second. Say, well, how so? Well, first of all, we got to be like Zechariah. We can't afford to be twiddling our thumbs. We need to be busy doing what it is that God has called us to do. We must be faithful to it if we are to hasten the coming of the Lord. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 24. He said, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. The end is not going to come before the world hears the gospel. That everyone has an opportunity to hear the gospel. And so that responsibility and that privilege has been given to us. That's why we should be sharing our faith with our family members, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our co-workers, with our our. Our, our friends from school, and even our enemies. This is why missionaries should go to other parts of the world. Remember, Jesus says, go, therefore, and make disciples. Are you living a righteous life, a blameless life? Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. See, I, I know that many of us, you know, we believe Jesus is coming back. But I don't know how many of us are, are living in such a way that if he came back tomorrow, we'd be okay with it. There are an awful lot of things I'd like to do, I'd like to see before Jesus comes back. I'm living with the wrong mentality, the wrong mindset. I need to be thinking of his return in such a way that I long for it. That as Peter says, that I hasten its coming, that I speed its coming. Or the New Living Translation says, hurrying it along. I need to want it to come more than I want to enjoy the things of this world. Even God's blessings. I want to be at home with the Lord. I want him to come quickly, but he's not going to come quickly until the gospel is preached throughout the world. And we are his mouthpiece. We're his hands and his feet. So how are we doing at that? Are we really living with that hopeful expectation of his return? Are we really living with a mindset of, Lord, I want you to come quickly. Lord Jesus, come quickly. That's what John says at the end of the book of Revelation. Lord Jesus, come quickly. In, the in light of the day of the Lord, 
We ought to take sin seriously and strive to live holy and godly lives. We should also pray for the Lord Jesus to come quickly. And when you do that, by the way, this world loosens its grip on you. When you start living with this mentality of this world is not my home. I want to go home. I want to be with you, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, come quickly. When you start, when your mind starts thinking those kinds of thoughts, everything else just seems to fade to the distance. And you then become useful to the kingdom. Jean-Paul Sartre, I think, was right. Hope needs a foundation. What is yours? Those who have trusted Christ live with hopeful expectation. Are you living with a passionate expectancy of Jesus' second coming? I hope so. I'm going to conclude with something that Max Locato said. It's very short, but very fitting. It says, we celebrate the first advent to whet our appetites for the second. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning, for the opportunity we've had to look at your word, for the example of your servant, Zechariah. And Lord, there's much for us to learn from this passage and from his life. But Lord, as we um, get ready to celebrate um, Christmas, Lord, would you keep us mindful of the fact that one day you will return. You will take us home to be with you. But Father, we want to be found faithful. We want to be found living holy and righteous lives so that we might bring you all the glory that you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.